You're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. We are three badass female coaches from around the globe who are here to debunk the typical go harder fitness and diet advice and guide you to make your own definition of health and wellness. Join us each week for conversation, information, interviews, dry humor, dad jokes, and more. Hey, we're back. Hey, with hey. episode episode two of the Be Well Cartel podcast. And what, Olivia, what are we going to talk about today? Um, today we're actually meeting Holly properly, who's Me. one of three. Yes, um, and we're going to be talking about Holly where. Holly's come from and uh, what she does and her kind of journey through health and fitness and exercise and everything from where she started and to where she is now. So I'm looking forward to this. All right. So let's, I mean, should we just dive on in? Holly, who the hell are you? Yeah. Let's more specific. Well, <laughs> let's we're going specific. deep. We're getting we're going deep, deep real fast. We're going deep. So Holly, what, you know, what was your first kind of introduction to fitness or nutrition? Because I know now you are a very accomplished nutrition coach. You also do some strength training coaching. From I know you did a really cool like pull-up program during the quarantine for your clients and people on your email list. And so what was your first intro to that? My first intro, I'll go with my first intro to strength training because previous to that, so like growing up, much like you, Jillian, I was not the athletic um, child um, or young adult. So looking back, I would always say to people like, oh, I didn't do sports in school. Um, I, I, you know, didn't do anything to do with exercise until I was an adult. But then when I look back at what I actually used to do, I didn't do any team sports in school and I didn't do any like of the regular school sports. And much of that was because I was, I used to have like very extreme social anxiety, like to the, to the extent that I, my, my parents were almost considered getting me like help, like professional help with this, because I would have panic attacks in, in phys ed class. I would have panic attacks in drama class and I would have like mini panic attacks if I was like called on in class by a teacher. And so as a result of that, like obviously like sports in school, not my ideal arena. Um, but I actually did do like tennis growing up um, casually and, you know, uh, explaining much about me being a strange person, also fencing. Um, and I fenced I as well. <laughs> I saw a fencer too. Weird and amazing. <laughs> fencing, yeah, fencing. And then and so ice skating as well. for a while as well. Yeah, so we oh did a lot, of, a lot of... <laughs> like individual so looking looking back like all individual mm -hmm. sports right like pr primarily individual sports like ones I could practice by myself or with one other person and ones that had nothing to do with school and were like completely separate from that um and then university yeah I guess pretty similar to both of you guys like very heavy drinking culture completely yeah, yeah, different yeah. to who I am now <laughs> um I I worked in a metal bar throughout university that was my life that is not surprising to me in the slightest <laughs> <laughs> that was my life and so when I got to China there's no big well it's it's growing but like when I first got there was not a big metal scene in China and I was like wow like who do I hang out with now and I ended up befriending this guy he probably won't listen to this because he isn't very social media-y but called Tim and anyone who knows me who's listening to this will be like oh Tim and so we met at like a pub quiz and he's like oh yeah, I'm, I'm learning Chinese to open a CrossFit gym. 
And he was like, have you ever heard of cross training? And in my head, it was like an elliptical, you know, like the cross yeah. trainer. And I was like, you're opening a gym of elliptical <laughs> machines. And he was like, no, like that's no, that's not what I'm doing. So anyway, like we became friends and he's like, learning his gym Chinese so he can do this thing. I, I, ho- I hope everyone can see when knows that Holly is doing the elliptical movement as she is explaining. Is, I assume that's what he was doing as he learned his Chinese for opening his CrossFit gym. And But I wouldn't so, be surprised if, if something like that did open in China, like literally true, just a gym yeah, for that's, yeah, uh, the elliptical. That's really true. And so when he, coincidentally, when he opened it, my office at the time was down the street. And when he opened this, this was like the third CrossFit gym or maybe the second CrossFit gym in China. Mm. Um, now there's like 200, 200 plus. So he was mm. pretty early and he was like, hey, can you just come and like be the guinea pig for my like on-ramp program? Which if anyone has been to a CrossFit gym, Jillian mentioned it in her podcast as well, kind of like the foundations <laughs> program where they teach you the basic movements that somehow then it's like the expert to go and do them at high intensity. Yeah. It's like the marijuana of CrossFit. It's like the the gateway drug <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to CrossFit. That's the gateway drug. That's the gateway drug that was good. So, so he asked me to do it because he was like, oh, you know me. So I know you'll ask questions and like, tell me if I'm not explaining it well. Mm. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. Like, that sounds, that sounds great. Like, can't wait to criticize you. Um, and, and just to let you know, like, I don't want to get any muscles. I just want to be skinny. And he like, you know, rolls his eyes and is like, fine, whatever, like just come and help me. (laughs) And so I went there and I remember him giving me like an empty barbell and like, you know, explaining like the the strict press, which is just basically where you take a barbell from, from your shoulders and you press it straight up over your head. So your arms are straight up in the air. And he was like, okay, like, here's how you do it. Here's the empty bar, like your turn. And I, I like couldn't press this empty barbell. And he was like, oh, this uh, is surprising. Like I hadn't planned for this. This is lucky. Now I can get some smaller barbells. But also at like that moment in time, I was like, wow, I should be able to do more stuff with my body. Like I'm pretty sure my body should be able to do this. Like mm-hmm. the surprise on his face was very evident. Um, and so I was like, okay, let me just come here and do his classes and like see what happens and like see if I can like somehow do some of this stuff. And like like most of us, I think, got sucked in very quickly. Along that journey, I ha- if I, none of you have lived in China yet, but Chinese visas are um, a constant source of fun and enjoyment for everyone that lives there, <laughs> the expat. And so... During that time I was dealing with my Chinese visa and I had to leave for a while and go back to the UK for a couple of months and ended up there going to a gym where they did their on-ramp in a single day. Um, Interesting. But Mm. as a result of that, the positive side of this was that um, I went to a class, there were cleans in the class and they were like, oh, if you haven't done cleans before, you just have to do med ball cleans. And if you want to learn how to do cleans, you have to go and do a one-on-one session with our weightlifting coach. And I was like, well, these med ball cleans are lame. Um, so yes, like I will go and do that. So I, this was like the first time I ever paid for a one-on-one session with a trainer with anything to do with a barbell. And that session was like, like life-changing for me. It was mm-hmm. this like terrifying Italian weightlifter. Um, I was the only girl afterwards who stayed in the class because he made every other one cry and they left. Oh my um, God. 
<gasps> that's yeah. amazing. I mean, we say that's amazing because um, we, because we like know what it's like to be in a gym and it's kind of like we thrive off of that, but I, that must be so intimidating. Yeah. And so, and somehow I stayed, I think, I think because I was so used to hang out with guys, I was just like guy, guy banter. Right. And he, you know, he was very blunt in his assessment mm. of um, how terrible your weightlifting technique was, which as someone <laughs> who'd never done it before was obviously very. And like, I remember mm. I go in for this first session. He's like, he looks at my hands. And he's like, you got to cut your nails. Like you can't have long nails and lift weights. Like you'll, you'll hurt your hand or they'll break. And I was like, all right, cool. Like I'll cut them. And then he was like, and you have to get these shoes. And I was like, what? Cause you got to get these shoes. And then, and by, so the positive was by this point, I was so invested because I'd paid for this one-on-one session. I'd bought these crazy shoes and that which you like put in the oven and they mold to your feet. And I was like, this is bizarre. And then, and then, you know, I'd made it through like the, the terrifying classes and it was really fun. It was really fun. Everyone else in the class was really supportive. All the other guys were really supportive of this like random chick who like had zero technique and no strength. And they were just like really psyched that I was there and they'd like take me out for lunch afterwards. And like, it was really fun. And I was like, wow, like weightlifting is great. And so for a long time, I actually did mainly Olympic weightlifting with like a little Mm -hmm. bit of CrossFit on the side, even when I went back to China. And yeah, at that point, that was really what got me more into lifting. I, th- I feel like if I had gone in primarily through CrossFit and stayed doing a lot of CrossFit, I might not have stayed with it for as long as I, I did. Mm-hmm. But because I got into the Ollie lifting, like, like Olympic lifting quite early, like that, that was cool to me. I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is, this is really interesting. And that, because it's your, it's so structured and you see the increase in numbers and the improvement in your technique. And I'm a structured person, right? So I feel like if I just stayed in CrossFit the lack of structure would have been a little bit like for me mm. but when there's with, with weightlifting I was like I get it I understand what's happening here mm. and like I was like oh wow you can really just start from no and if you follow structure for a long period of time like you can get better mm. and I was like that is not what I expected like I'd never mm. even thought of getting stronger like that or or fitness or exercise like that before and yeah that that was basically what sucked me in and at that point in time I was still working in the art industry so I was working in an art gallery in in Beijing mm -hmm, yeah so my my dissertation my dissertation at university was on um, Chinese modern art. Yeah. So when I went to China, I went over there and I was like, okay, cool. Like I want to work in Chinese modern art. And the first company I worked for was really cool. Like very, it was like a startup working with like newly discovered artists. It was really awesome. And again, for anyone that knows China in like, unfortunately classic China syndrome, that small startup got screwed over by an employee and collapsed within like a week. Um, and as a result of that, this is like all in the background of me, like getting into weightlifting, doing this stuff. As a result of that, I then went to work for a, an art gallery. I'll avoid names and people know people, but they had a gallery in Hong Kong and they were opening one in Beijing and I went to work there and it was horrible and I hated, <laughs> hated it so much. Um, basically the owner was like the son of the owners of the Hong Kong gallery and was basically just wanted to like run a gallery to look cool and have parties on the roof and didn't actually want to be a boss and run his team and that was very painful for me again as someone who like really what motivates me in life is being able to create change and influence change and like build things and you can't do that when you have someone who doesn't care about 
the thing that they're supposedly trying to build. So it was very like I was there for a, a good few months, maybe like six months, and every day was just painful. In the background of this is Tim building away his little gym, and it's just him in the basement of a mall in like a 110 square meter room, like no logo, just <laughs> white walls. We like taped lines for wall walls up there, like, and he's teaching every single class, and he's like exhausted. He's so tired. And he's like, at one point he's like, oh my God, I've been like sleeping on like ab mats and yoga mats in the gym. And I was like, do you want me to just open the gym for you on Sundays? And it can be an open gym day and you just like go home and stay there. And he was like, yes, I, you know, like, cause he, we'd known each other for so long. He trusted me enough to do that. And so I started doing that basically just to like save him from like burnout. And he would like send me the workout. I would write it on the board. And people would know, like, they came that day, it was like, do it themselves. But, like, Holly is there to just, like, make sure shit doesn't hit the fan. Make sure no one dies. Um, yeah, make sure no one dies was basically my job. <laughs> and uh, and then that led to him feeling confident enough to to take, like, a week off to go home. And, like, his, you know, a full week off. Like, having talked to our small community in the gym, be like, is everyone okay with this? Like, is this cool? Everyone's like, yeah, that's cool. Go do it. He's like, I'm sending the workouts to Holly every day. She'll write them on the board. And I was like, yep, I can do this. And so for that it's week- so the story of so many gym owners, yeah. isn't it? I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I have so many friends who have been the exact same, like opening up facilities. Yeah. Exactly. And so I did this for him for a week and I would just like, he would send me the explanation. So I'd like explain it and be like, now you guys go. And by the time he got back, people were like, oh, we really liked Holly explaining the workouts. Like it was great. And so he comes to me and he's like, I think you should- like do do the exam like do the certification and I'm like ha 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 and he's like no we're doing this and I wouldn't have done it I wouldn't have I would never have gotten to fitness if he hadn't have sat me down and been like you should do this like convinced like told me like don't worry about your strength don't worry about your skill like I can teach you that but you have the personality and I can't teach you that it was then later on after I'd done all that stuff started coaching for him part-time he trained me through everything. And when he got investment to open a big facility, which if anyone knows Beijing is like in the heart of San Newton, and it was, we went from 110 square meters to a thousand plus, wow. um, like, dream, like dream gym. And he was like, oh, like I want to bring you on full time working in this horror job. And I think tomorrow, like, let's do this. And that was like how I got in. Wow. Weird, and then- awesome. And so first of all, Tim, if you're out there, thank you. We love you. And we're so happy. That <laughs> yeah. We're so happy. We're so, so grateful for you. Um, and the and world is a better so, place because you. And, it, be <laughs> and it's so true though, with what he said about coaching, it's like, I think that that's something, especially with CrossFit, because there are so many skills, high level skills, like gymnastic skills, like muscle ups, strict handstand pushups, you know, handstand walking, like all of this kind of stuff, which can be quite intimidating for coaches if they are teaching classes, coaching classes, and maybe they don't have those skills yet or that strength. And that can be quite a scary thing. But I think, you know, what he said is so true to you that you've got the character. I mean, you can learn these things, but you can't be taught character and personality. And so I think that that's really cool. And what a beautiful thing for him to say to you and you to like, hold on to that and be like, ah, that's, you know, that's what makes me a good coach. Yeah, yeah, I was I was very fortunate to have that. And then I think the other thing that helped it for me was that so many of my coaches 
going into CrossFit had were like collegiate, like, you know, ex-collegiate athletes, like mm. male ex-collegiate athletes. And even the, the like one female that I had was an ex-collegiate athlete. And I was like, wow, it's so hard to relate to what you're trying to tell me to do because you grew up sporty and like knowing a knowing what your body could do and like being used to learning new skills but then also just like knowing how quickly you could build strength and I was like that's not me like I don't get that I just simply remember going to a gym and when I was in Hong Kong for a while and the coach being like okay and we got push-ups today and I was like oh I I can't do push-ups yet like what should I do and the coach being like of course you can do push-ups and I was like what like Mm. who are you like how what I was so confused I think that's that's something that as coaches and even, you know, even I think I've been guilty of this in the past. It's that because for example, even, you know, as we're telling the story, Holly, for you, that was, that was about 10 years ago. Right. And so, Correct. you know, for yeah. me and now having been a CrossFit coach for five years and, and then, you know, trying to remember what it was like for us when we were trying to learn these movement patterns. And I think, you know, like we had talked about in, in the episode that we did last week, where it's like going from, okay, you know, I know how to do this movement pattern, but there was a time when I did not, how do I connect that bridge for someone else? And I think that that's why it's so cool to see one women breaking into the coaching space in a way that, you know, 10 years ago was not the case. And two people that don't come from a childhood of always exercising, of always knowing how to move their bodies. Cause how many adults have you come across where you say, you know, I'd like you to bend at the hip and they genuinely don't know how to do that. Yeah. Or, or you ask exactly. them to like isolate, you know, keep your trunk, like keep, you know, squeeze your abs and move your hip joint or bend your knee, but keep your back straight. And it's like those things that, uh, you know, as athletes, they take for granted, but as someone that yeah. doesn't come from an athletic background, it it's, it's totally normal to not get it. And I feel like sometimes people, when they go into gyms, they feel bad about it. And, and people would apologize. I don't know if this happens to you guys ever where people would apologize. Like, Oh, I'm sorry. I can't do this. And it's like, you have nothing to be sorry for. That's like me being yeah. sorry because I don't know how to do quantum physics. Like I've never learned it before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that that one of the, um, one of the key components of a good coach is flexibility and having so many tools in the toolbox for different humans and I think you know even we can talk about that um, as that sort of pertains to coaching in person and how many coaches there are online now and there are so many coaches online that have never worked with people in person yes yes it is you know, there can be really good coaches online that have not worked with people in person. But honestly, like if if I know that someone has worked with some with people in person for at least a few years, they are such better coaches because they understand so many different um, bodies in person. They're able to cue better. They've got more regressions, progressions. They've got more understanding of personalities, like how to, you know, more options for people. And I think that... Um, yeah, that flexibility with coaches is just so important for, I mean, something as simple as a push-up. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's like we say in nutrition a lot, it's simple, but it, that doesn't mean it's easy. And I think that that's yeah. what people yeah. forget is I think that a lot of coaches but, like think that, oh, it's simple. So it needs to be, it must be easy. And it's like, well, it's easy for yeah. you because you learned how to do a push-up when you were 12 years old. It, but I also think that, that a problem with, I mean, this is one of the problems with CrossFit is that so many people were coming into CrossFit and they've come from, they've been in a 
done marketing <laughs> or something like that, you know? Um, and so not actually, I mean, the level one doesn't actually teach you about how to program correctly. And it doesn't actually teach you about proper, you know, more regressions or progressions and stuff like that. And so I think that that is one of the, the, the big problems with CrossFit coaches is that there is just kind of a very limited and unless you, you're doing like more education around um, program, program design and movement and stuff like that, then you don't just, it's quite sh- shallow, the information yeah, that yeah. you've got. And that's one of people. the reasons that like, if, if I'm looking at, so I used to, I ended up sort of like managing a lot of the gym in Beijing and then be, then being on the founding team for a gym in Shanghai. And so we were, we discussed a lot, like, looking for coaches, hiring coaches, like who we were going to take on, like how, how to educate coaches, how to train new coaches and so on. And it would actually, for me, it would be off-putting if the only certifications a coach had were all from CrossFit related certifications, even if they had like eight, I was like, but, but all of your certifications are from within CrossFit. Like you've never gone outside of CrossFit and actually like gone to a weightlifting certification and learned from someone who's like teaching it as weightlifting or like gone to like a strongman like certification and like actually learned from like you know professional strongmen who are teaching it in that capacity like you like it's it for me it just shows like very a very closed mind and it means that you're missing all this extra stuff which the 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 benefit of CrossFit is that if you want to you can bring in whatever you want and you can coach however you want like that was I guess the good side of it and then you know the advantage in terms of working with people and, and like getting a lot of hands-on experience with different bodies and all that kind of stuff. Like in that sense, CrossFit can also be quite positive if you're getting started as a coach, because you learn very quickly, a lot of different cues and like how to interact with different kinds of people. And for me also different cultures. Cause I was, te- I was coaching bilingually from like from my first day, which also was a very big uptick in my Chinese vocabulary. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that was beneficial. And then, you know, I think one of my, to, Holly, mm. that just one of the, um, I think one of the first um, words that I learned in Mandarin was, um, but like how to say squeeze your butt, which yeah, now yeah. I can't even remember. How do you say squ- like squeeze your butt? Like um, pigu. Pigu, pigu butt. yeah, yeah. Pigu, <laughs> pigu, yeah. <laughs> I like that Olivia said that with like an Italian accent. It was like, yeah. Yeah. So I think though that we are missing a very key sort of, well, there's two key questions that I think that we have not touched on one, Holly, what the hell were you doing in China? (laughs) Like, Um, I think we skipped that part. And then two, how did that, how did that translate into, you know, what you're doing now, which is mainly nutrition? And don't yeah. skip out um, Spartan. I'm interested to, because you were quite involved in Spartan racing as I well, was. right? Spartan yeah. race and jujitsu. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Let me, I'll circle back to how I ended up in China and then I'll skip forward because it's like, there's like a seven year gap there. Um, so basically how I ended up in China is a fairly short story, which is that I studied Mandarin Chinese at university. Like that was my degree was in Mandarin Chinese um graduated and was like wow I have a language degree guys um what do you what do we do with this and I'm panic set in and I was like you know what just gonna go to China and see what happens and I'll go there for six months and if I can make some cool stuff happen then whatever and so I go there and yeah by before I knew it it had been six years and 
uh, yeah, it was, and it was a really cool experience. And I think you learn a lot. I, all of us have lived abroad. And I think, I think that living abroad in a country where you don't have the passport, the language is different. It makes you grow very quickly mm. in a lot of ways. And that hardened me a lot and brought me out of my shell in terms of my confidence because I had to start from scratch, meet all new people. And like I said, I no longer had like the metal scene to fall back, be my support system. Um, so yes, that was China. Um, Spartan race. Spartan race happened because, um, so Spartan only came into China maybe ooh, at this point, probably like four years ago or five years ago. Um, and I had done some in London when I got home and actually in Seoul, um, cause a friend of mine had a gym there. And so I'd done a few and when they came into China, they're also a Reebok, uh, were, were a Reebok, uh, sponsored brand. Um, and we were a Reebok, we were like the Reebok gym, uh, in Beijing. And so we became involved via that. And they were like, oh, wow, you've already done some. Like, that's great. No one in China has a clue what's happening. Like, can you get teams together? And so, so, so we, we led like a spot on program at our gym and I took teams from my morning classes. Uh, and yeah, it was awesome. And then when they launched the certification, they basically invited me to do the coach certification with them. And then I ended up translating quite a bit for Joe, um, Joe DI, so Joe DiStefano, who was the director of sport at um, Spartan and has since left. Um, and that was really cool. So like hanging out with him was really awesome. Like doing that was really cool. And I loved, I loved taking teams to the races. And then I did a few like elite ones, basically just cause they like kept adding new versions of races in China that I hadn't done. And I was like, oh, can I run 15 kilometers like and do obstacles? Oh, I can. And then like, oh, 23 kilometers with obstacles. Like, oh, I can. Um, unfortunately I was doing this, like stacking it on top of, of CrossFit and, and like loading all this endurance training on top of trying to keep up with the high intensity stuff, um, training with like our crew at the gym. And instead of being like, oh, let me balance these out for a while. I was like, oh, just add it on. Like, it's cool. I got time. And so I was like, hey, I've got time, right? Like not, not like my body has capacity. Like, I have time to fit this in. And then, yeah. So I guess that was the Spartan side. And then <laughs> Uh, you know, at the same time had also added in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which now I, now I say it all in the same sentence. It's like, what were you thinking? But at the time, like all of this, at this point, like none, none of this was body image related. Like it was purely like, wow, this is so fun. Like I've seen all these things my body can do from, from CrossFit that I never thought I'd be able to do. Like first pull up, was like huge life mindset shift for me. And then, you know, going on to all the other first muscle up was then like next huge mindset shift. And I was like, wow, like if I can do that, then like, wow, look what I can do in Spartan race. And like, wow, look what I could potentially do in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And it was just for fun. Like it all seemed so fun. And yeah. It obviously was a little much for my body. Yeah. It was, it was, I guess, good while it lasted. And so when did you make the realization or when did you, was there a point in which you're like, Hey, I don't know if my body can handle this. And then through that time, cause obviously like now, as you know, as we mentioned, now you focus mainly on nutrition. And so at what point did those things sort of start to enter into your psyche of like, one, I don't know if my body can handle this for that long. And two, like my food is important. Nutrition, nutrition for me entered a lot because of jujitsu. And it ended for me a lot because of jujitsu because that was the first sport that I actually com like competed 
in and like spartan i competed in but it was just like very casual whereas brazilian jiu-jitsu is like weight class sports um you weigh in and then you like stand on a mat and you fight someone else um with a referee there and with like a crowd of people watching you and like that was a very different competing experience for me the reason i chose to compete in jiu-jitsu in the first place versus anything else was because i just wanted to test out my jiu-jitsu and one of the reasons i like jiu-jitsu anyway is because it's it's one of the only martial arts where you can really test your skills without the potential of getting like thoroughly fucked up like you know it's very hard to test your muay thai and in a in like a, a friendly and casual way like you could, you know like something like you're gonna get kicked in the head whereas jujitsu is like it it could be very brutal but like the way it's set up where you can just tap out if something is going very wrong um i was like oh i want to test it in like not my own gym and like against random people and so at, from like cutting for weight classes and fueling specifically for competitions, I became via that basically aware of like, hey, let me try fueling myself in a different way for this. Oh, wow. Look how I can manipulate my body weight and my performance by changing my nutrition around it. And it made me at the time extremely interested in sport nutrition. And, I, and for a long time, I thought that was the path I was going to go down. And so at the beginning of my nutrition career, um, I was working actually a lot with MMA fighters, like amateur boxers, people in the martial arts community, because that was the sport that I understood the best, the demands for. At that point in time, I thought that the, that like teaching people to manipulate their body weight for, for competition would be really fun. I, I, that's what I thought as I went into it. As I went through that, I realized that I, ha- I hated it. I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm having to make these people crush themselves in order to make weight for something that's meant to be, for the most part, either a hobby or like an amateur career. Like it's not, it's not like their life. And even if it was their life, like, would I want to support what they have to do to their bodies in order to, in order to make this happen? And then I was like, wow, I also did this to my body. Like that was a lot for me to put it through and like, why did I, why do I care that much about it? But I was like stuck in it. I was like stuck in it by that point. And I was stuck in this like really rigid structure from sports nutrition that I'd created. It was one of these things where a knowledge trap for me is like, if I know how to do something, I, I'm like, oh, I, I should, I should be doing it. Like I know how to have a six pack. I know how to cut to the lowest weight class for, for a competition. Like therefore that's what I should be doing because I have the know-how to do it and it's a lot easier working with athletes because they're so committed and that rigidity is what works and what they want in order to get to that performance goal and so as a coach especially with nutrition because coaching nutrition is so hard with um you know gen pop because life is such a moving target you know and so but with athletes, they're so committed, so dedicated, and they do what you tell them to do. And so it, it's as a coach, I think that it's easy to kind of get that like, okay, sweet, like I'm doing a really good job with this as well, yes. even though it might be yes. like, but this is kind of harmful for them, but 
I'm doing a good job here. So I'm yeah, like upholding yeah. my contract, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, re- the results are very black and white. It's like mm. either you made weight or you didn't. Like, did you do it or didn't you? That at the time to me seemed, seemed like it would be quite appealing. Like, oh, here's the success marker of whether mm. I did my job or not. Or like, you know, whether this was a su- successful process. But at the same time, and I think this is more true of many martial artists than, than potentially of many CrossFit athletes. But like, they didn't want to learn. Like most of them didn't, they were like, I don't have time. Like they don't have time to learn why they're doing what they're doing. They're like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, which like, like you said, seems simple, but it's very unfulfilling. Because yeah, then so like, they haven't, they haven't learned. They haven't they don't yeah, know why anything and, happened. It's like, and then once they're... it worked. <laughs> This is, this is something, it's interesting that you say that because this is actually something that I feel like at culturally here in Spain, I come up with quite a, quite a lot is that people still just want to be told, what should I do? But yeah. then what they forget is it's like, if I tell you what to do now, what are you going to do when I'm not there? Because that's, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you see that with, you see that so much with fighters because you look and, and bodybuilders as well do this too, but like the huge bounce back in body weight after a fight or after a competition, it's crazy. And yeah. for bodybuilders, I was just gonna not, say, yeah, for yeah, bodybuilders, it's not say. even because they don't know because they there's so they've restricted so much that it just like all comes back afterwards. And I saw the same thing with people doing like F45 challenges, yeah, um, or like other you know very sort of like eight week shred styles challenges. Was it was all the same thing? And I started to see and also nutrition athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also, and, and I felt that like when I was doing bodybuilding, I, j- I had a plan. <laughs> like I had a, mind you, this was many, many years ago, but it was like a, a meal plan that was like, you eat this at breakfast, you eat this snack, blah, blah, blah. And that's a problem. And you guys have probably had this so much before as well with like gen pop clients. Just tell me what to do. Like I had a client recently um, who was just like, just tell me what to do. And I'm like, I can't give you a meal plan. First of all, I'm not qualified. Like I'm not a dietitian. I can't do that. But also it's not helpful. But this person had come from F45 and got extremely fucked up from F45, um, like pretty bad body dysmorphia and also just the mindset around food and that couldn't understand that there was a very different way to do things than a meal plan. And it's just... But people w- want that, right? It's like, just tell me what to well, do think, and I'll do they it. They think they want it. Yeah, they, it, think, yeah. They, they think they want it because it's like instant. The results so much, not always, but the results can be a lot faster in terms of the immediate future. So it's like yeah. over that eight weeks, if you if you followed a meal plan to a T over eight weeks, I'm sure you would see weight loss results mm, much yeah. faster. But, but at what cost? Because you haven't learned anything. So at the end of that eight weeks, what do you do? Like, what's your, what's your off-ramp plan? Like, how are you easing back into normal life? And it's either that they go back into normal life having learned nothing and then gain all the weight back and more, or they just stay stuck on this thing forever, which eventually the mental restriction becomes too much and and things go wrong, go uh, quote unquote wrong, right? And then the other problem with meal plans, I always have to point out to people is like, if you don't like every single thing on that meal plan, you won't eat the meal plan or you will your life will be miserable and then what happens on the day your friend invites you out to the restaurant and you get to the restaurant and you look at the menu and you're like god like this isn't my meal plan what do I choose because you have no understanding of what nutrition means and like what a balanced meal 
could look like and whether you even need to be eating a balanced meal at that point in time like does it matter and yeah I yeah I have all the feels about meal plans I'm and not a supporter yeah. I think it comes a lot from you know it comes from fear like we there's a lot of fear around our bodies and around nutrition and around you know what happens when I don't follow the rules and I think that a lot of that you know you see it in our in 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 the medical world as well like someone goes into the doctor and they're told like you're pre-diabetic and they don't tell you like hey you know like I know that uh, you know, when you're stressed, you tend to go for, for cookies. Like what if we uh, switch out those snacks for something a little bit healthier? They don't say that. They say you need to stop eating sugar or you're going to end up diabetic and we're going to have to amputate your legs and you're going to be on insulin for the rest of your life. And so it's like, oh God, well, that's terrifying. So they either get paralyzed and they're like, well, I'm just not going to do anything. Like I know diabetics, I know type two diabetics that do not realize that when, you know, for example, getting on the airplane and bringing with them as snacks like Skittles and M&Ms and Reese's, you know, Reese's, those are not healthy snacks for the airplane. But, and this is someone that is a type two diabetic. And so these are things where, you know, it comes from, okay, so I have this fear of I'm either going to stay the same or things are going to get worse. And that fear is either paralyzing or I take that fear and I channel it into being so incredibly inflexible that eventually like the whole house of cards just comes crashing down. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Uh, it's that combination of fear. And then also like most professionals that people get to meet with, they end up being able to have like a 10 or 15 minute talk with them. Like that's a, the average doctor consultation, right? It's like 15 minutes. How are you going to dive in deep enough to look at where does that fear even come from? And also like, like what got you to this, this point? And that, and that goes for anyone, by the way, not just pre-diabetics, like any, anyone who's reached out to a coach or a medical professional is doing it for a reason. And so like the mindset work behind that to be like, Hey, like, is this coming from a good place or is this coming from a place of fear? And if it is coming from a place of fear, like digging into what caused that fear and why it's there. And like, can we turn that into curiosity instead curiosity and like and like the understanding of the potential for opportunity but you can't do that in a 15 minute consultation in a doctor's room like that's why the work that we do is important where we're talking with clients for like 30 to 60 minutes on a consistent basis allows us to do and that's a hell of a lot more helpful to someone than a meal plan yeah and so I'm curious to know, going back to, because I think this is, again, you know, a conversation that we can table and, and go back to on a later podcast, because I think it's really interesting, that concept that you brought up of, you know, curious non-judgment. And also, I think we really need to dig into in the future, the, the importance of mindset in creating tangible results, because I think that that's something yeah. that is still, a lot of people are still connecting the dots. But going back to you, Holly, and, and sort of understanding a little bit more about you, because right now you're talking to us from your parents' house in England, right? And so this last, so how did you end up, you know, you were, you're English and you're in the middle world, and then you went to China and you were doing art, and then you ended up being a CrossFit coach in a Spartan race expert and now you are living over through the pandemic um you have been largely split between san francisco and the uk and why is that so yeah um basically my my husband is from san francisco and we were both in china together so we met in china a couple of years ago he his company offered to move him back to america and this had been like a long term 
plan of his every year from the first year we met every year he was like last year in China last year in China and and it'd been like five years and his company offered to move him to the San Francisco office and he was like oh I don't know if it's the right time and I was like it's never gonna be the right time go you know you've been saying for so long like you should go and he was like okay but like you're planning to go and I was at the time working in Shanghai at this gym they actually had you know given me the potential to join the ownership team of that gym but but with the requirement that I stay in Shanghai for for four plus years in order for that to vest and I was like I don't which is ironic now because like COVID has forced this but I was like I don't think that I want to be for sure separated for for four years and have to be going that like back and forth but with very controlled about how much time I could spend in the U.S. and so I decided at that point to move my business online so that I could be more flexible with location and at that point in time I was really lucky that the gym in Shanghai had let me offer nutrition coaching like as a service through the gym and so I'd already built a roster and they were also quite comfortable um with me like telling my clients what I was doing and giving them the potential to stay with One Nation or to come, they didn't have a replacement nutrition coach. So it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, And so I started to like gradually move online whilst I was still coaching in person, which I think Olivia is what you did as well. That was was really helpful. That was a really helpful transition. It allowed me to work out my systems and everything. And all my clients were actually really happy to move online. Um, and so then I left my full-time job in Shanghai and came back to the UK like a year and a half ago now, um, spent some time with my family and then went to the US and then went to Bali where I met Jillian and then went back to Shanghai and then went to the US. So I was like hopping around like a new place every three months, which again, in advance, I was like, that would be so fun. And then in retrospect was extremely stressful, but through that, like really honed in how well I was able to coach whilst shifting locations and making sure that my structures for my coaching were, were really solid. It forced me to have really solid business and coaching structure. Um, and so at the beginning of COVID this year, I was actually in Bali again, and I was uh, basically helping a gym there with their gym systems. Like that's systems is my jam. So I was like there helping them rejig their systems. Um, and then, yeah, COVID happened. I was meant to go back to US anyway, sprinted back there before the airports closed, got stuck there for three months, managed to get back just in time for before my Esther ran out. And I'm now working on my US spousal visa, which is why I'm here, um, which due to having to get things from China is a, a much more extended process than expected but such is life it's fine no one can go anywhere anyway so I'm just embracing it and honestly it's been really nice to be in a country where I hold the passport for the first time in a long time because I like have all these rights and like the NHS and it's great it's really nice and uh, again it's given me a lot of time to keep building keep building my nutrition practice and then do awesome stuff like this with you guys which I'm really grateful for and you are, you are building a beautiful community. I think that um, you have a really amazing community people that you work with, Holly, and you, I can imagine that you are just very well loved and you put out great content and you're an awesome coach. So 
I feel very lucky to be doing this project with you and have have found you in this world to be to be such a wonderful friend as well. So I think it's um, I think your story is just so interesting as well. You know, coming from having that very bad social anxiety, like being a child and, you know, team sports and things like that, to then being CrossFit and Spartan and Jiu-Jitsu and now what you're doing. It's such a beautiful evolution and the world is just so lucky to have you coaching. It's awesome. Yeah. And Thank I think you. That I'm so happy to have you guys. This is this is just, you know, getting to know all three of us, like Olivia, I'm so excited for next week when we get to talk a little bit more about you, because I just learned so much more about you, Holly. And I think that it's (laughs) so cool also getting to have these conversations and understanding, you know, I think for the people that are listening, getting to understand that, you know, I think we see coaches in like a certain sort of a certain sort of light. And I remember like when I was in a gym, a lot of hours a week, you know, coaching, it was almost like as a coach, you're sort of like put on this pedestal of like, this person has it all figured out as far as like fitness and and nutrition is concerned. But like the fact of the matter is like, we really don't. And something that we didn't actually touch on Holly, and Mm. this is maybe we want to bring this up in a future episode, or we can do a whole episode on this because all three of us have gone through um, a time of, we all have lost our periods due to um, under eating overtraining. I think that actually, you know, I'm not going to open up this to- this topic now because we're going to be here for another be 17 so hours, <laughs> but let's table this for the next, for maybe not the next time, but in a future podcast to talk a little bit more about amenorrhea and how our training and nutrition sort of played into that in our lives. And I just want to say, I don't know if I told you guys, or maybe I did tell you last week, I just got my first natural period in like two and a half years or something like that. And so I know it's something that the three of us have in common. I know it's something that a lot of other women have gone through. Um, And if you're partners to a woman, maybe you, you are partners with a woman that has gone through it. So I think it's a really important conversation that we can all talk about. And Holly, I think that, you know, as we go through this, it's going to be really amazing for the three of us to dig into the mindset behind the training and nutrition piece. And so for you, you know, I, I have just like one really quick last question. And I think maybe it is Tim, but it, you know, if there's one person that you could kind of really, that you could really thank for, parts of this process or any part of this process. And maybe it is Tim, maybe it's another person like who has been really influential to you over the last. Yeah. 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 That really easily, like obviously the first person to come to mind would be, would be Tim both, both for what he did in terms of like pushing me to, to come into it in the first place. But I was also very fortunate in that although he opened a CrossFit gym, he was never like a traditional like CrossFit guy. Like very early on, he was, more into like the movement, handstands, Portal side of things, like introduced me to Charles Poliquin and all that stuff very early on. That shaped a lot of how I coached because I didn't get sucked into that whole like CrossFit mindset around training. Like very early on, I was exposed to so much. And so that shaped me immensely. And then the second person I would bring up and Olivia, I hope you can meet him when you go to Shanghai is Max. Max Ma. And so he's, he's actually really young. He's still pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. He was the guy that invited me down to Shanghai to help open the gym with him there. Mm. And everyone was like, Oh, this like young kid, like what's he doing? And I saw in him like the potential to be a really good leader. Like I, I'd gone, I went to an event that he hosted and treated that as like a boss interview. Cause he'd been bugging me for ages to like 
come down to Shanghai and, and work for him. And he said, he was like, oh, all these plans, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I haven't seen you execute on anything. Like, eh. And went down and I was like, this, yes. Like the, the way he treats everyone from like the athletes and like the people organizing the event, but also down to like the guys, like moving the barbells into the back and like the cleaners who are like mopping the floor, like was just great. Mm-hmm. And so I went, that's what convinced me to go help him open this gym in Shanghai and the, the team and the culture he's building there is really cool. Really so is he cool. still at one, he's still on nation? Yeah, yeah. I called Project One. Um, mm. So they they shifted. So originally they were One Nation because it was taken from, like they, they had a cooperation with One Nation in the US, which is Austin Maliolo and Reebok One. Um, and now they're Project One. They've opened three gyms already in Shanghai. And yeah, I've got a lot of respect for the way that he runs a business and runs a team. And, and so is Tim, is Tim still running his gym in Beijing? Tim is now in LA. Um, oh. So yeah, anyone who knows Tim is like, yes, uh, a traditional Tim path. So basically he also ended up marrying an Asian American. So same as me, they had a baby and first year of baby's life, they were still in Beijing. And they then decided to move back to LA because she had a job offer from a Taiwanese company that she also works for in Taiwan in LA. So he's there and he's known in his compound as the topless dad because he <laughs> every day holds the baby, goes outside to get, you know, his vitamin D Sometime, on his skin. Yeah. And yeah, and like, and uh, he also one time went to pick up his daughter from like her daycare or whatever. And someone called the police because they were like, there's a topless man wandering around just living his best life eh? just like topless with no shoes on like who is this man and yeah that's basically that's basically tim amazing amazing well so cool thank you so much olivia thank you so much this is thank you always as always a pleasure and we we will be back next week to get to know our girl olivia Awesome. That was awesome, Holly. So excited to um, hear more about you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Well Cartel podcast. Make sure to hit follow on the podcast app of your choice, share this episode, and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. It is a small effort with a big reward and the best way for other like-minded individuals to find the Be Well Cartel. To learn more about the Be Well Cartel community, stay up to date with us on Instagram at Be Well Cartel and see you again next week. We love feedback, so if you have anything to share with us, please reach out via Instagram to let us know what we are doing well, what we can improve on, and how we can support you.